Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 14, which begins with Jesse toweling off Max's head, and it ends with Max dressed for work the next morning. So, we mentioned last minute, and I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, but so many of these minutes are kind of bleeding into one another. But I said last minute that this is the the second half of a line that Max is delivering. So Max is sitting on the floor, Jesse's toweling off his head, and he says, ah, that feels good after three, and then we go to this minute, days, that feels so good. So it reveals to me, obviously, that the MFP officers don't always get a chance to go home at the end of the day. Right, and from what I know, it seems similar to firefighter schedules. Mm Mm-hmm where they're on for a certain number of hours and days straight, and they sleep at the firehouse, and then they're off for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. A couple days on, a couple days off. So it sounds like that kind of situation, especially since from what we've seen of the landscape around Max's house, compare that to the landscape around the town, quite different. So I'm wondering how far away he lives. Since living in New England, I know that terrain changes awfully fast. So just because it looks different doesn't necessarily mean he lives that far away. But, I, I, yeah, I feel like he lives far away. I, he, he lives on the coast. And the scenes with the chase in the town looked anything but coastal. They looked middle of Australia, high desert. Yeah. Hmm. Now, for some reason, my notes start talking about the baby, even though the baby is not at all in this scene. Oh, I know why my notes mention the baby, because they start talking about the baby. Because Jesse leans over him and she oh, talks yes. about how she caught a mean hook in the mouth this morning and it's Sprague. And so I was trying to figure out how old this kid is. Frustratingly, IMDB does not give me a birthday for Brendan Heath. It just has a name. It doesn't tell me when he was born, so I can't approximate how old the actor was in the scene. But I know because the, but I know that Sprague is able to sit up on his own unassisted. Yes, and I don't believe we ever see him walk. Right. So if I had to hazard a guess, I would say that he's somewhere between 8 and 12 months old. That seems right. Yep. According to the searches that I did on Google... Uh, babies can sit well for seven minutes without support by the time they're about eight months old, and their first steps usually come between nine and 12 months, and they're often walking well on their own by 14 to 17 months old. So I think he's definitely in that, that sweet spot where he's not quite a year old yet. Yeah. But he's got enough <laughs> dexterity to take a swing at his mom. Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought that was kind of funny that uh, that he did that. But as we meant, as you mentioned in the last minute, they really are a sweet couple. What struck me about this minute 
is that their interaction and their conversation is just so very normal. They're just hanging out, talking about their day, and talking a little bit about work. And it's nothing really remarkable. It seems very normal. But it's telling. Yes. Because this is our first interaction of many between Max and Jesse. And so we've got to establish early on what their relationship is like. And you mentioned last minute about the way he looks at her. And we get a lot of examples of the way that she looks at him in this minute. Yes. So we do. I think we establish in this minute that it's mutual. Right. Yes. As they're sitting there on the, the floor, they've got a TV on across the room, which, for one thing, the fact that they have a television that is actually receiving a television signal from a news source that is current up to the date, it's mm-hmm. another it's another sign that we're indeed pre-apocalyptic, that things haven't fallen apart so bad that we've lost mass communication. Yes. Because we definitely don't have that in the other movies. Yes. Hearing the story about the Knight Rider, it prompts her to, to ask about his day. So Jesse comments that Max made the news again. So that tells us, that reiterates his experience. That this, this isn't the first time that something interesting enough to make the news has happened to Max that he's been involved with. And then she asks who the Knight Rider was. Max's reply, I found it to be a little odd. He says, I don't know, just another glory rotor. Yes, he is just another glory rotor, as in he's part of Toe Cutter's gang. But on the other hand, he is not just another glory rotor. He's a cop killer. I feel like he is shielding her from that fact, that he was involved in something that was so personal to the MFP. That they felt so passionate about. And I think he's playing that off by saying that he's just another glory roader. Mm. Yeah, you can definitely tell from the way he says that and also his body language. The way he leans forward. Yes. His work life and his home life, he prefers to keep them extremely segregated. Yes. Yeah, the way he, he gets up is sudden and it's very clear he doesn't want to talk about this anymore. Right. Conversation over. Yes. And the way she moves her arms back off of his shoulders to let him get up is a little like she's acknowledging that that's why he's getting up. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And she seems a little slightly less than pleased. Like she wants to talk about it. She wants to be involved in his life. Yes. Because she's so devoted to him. And she wants him to share that part of his life with her because they obviously want to share everything. Yes. Um, I actually noticed the note that I skipped over about if you listen to what's on the news. We learn that Knight Rider was in custody awaiting arraignment for killing an MFP officer last week. Hmm. So they do say last week. So it's not the... How did they put it back in the dispatch? A um, It's not so much that he killed a police officer and then escaped. It's that he killed a police officer was waiting arraignment and then escaped. No, no, no. I think he killed two officers. Really? Yes. Okay. Because back in minutes one, two, three, in there when we're listening to dispatch. That's right. They say he wasted a probie. He wasted a probie and stole a car. Right. 
in this, the news guy says he's awaiting arraignment for killing an MFP officer last week. Right. So I think he was in custody because he killed an officer and he killed another officer during the escape to get the car. So I think he killed two officers. Okay. So if anything, they're not giving him enough credit on his rap sheet. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So we get a little bit more about Knight Rider. Yeah. Why he was in custody. And you don't like the term glory rotor. (sighs) No, I don't. I mean... It sounds a little dirty. I can get over that. But glory is a word with positive connotations. And the only glory rotor that we've been exposed to so far, Knight Rider, he should not have anything with positive connotations applied to him. He directly is responsible for the death of two officers. He's indirectly responsible for, arguably indirectly slash directly responsible for another officer's supposed death, meaning SARS, the driver of the van, himself and his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So just labeling him a glory rotor, I think, is giving him too much credit. Hmm. That's fair. Yeah. So the next morning, we get a... I, my notes call it a lovely exterior shot, but thinking back on the view of the beach and then the the beach grasses and then you see the house itself, it's it's so much more than <laughs> lovely. That house, even as a 1979 piece of property, is just breathtaking. Yes, it really is a beautiful piece of property. Yeah. So... That website that I mentioned several minutes ago that gives me the location of shooting locations. Yes. That was redundant, the location of student shooting locations. Anyway. Yes. So I found the address for the house. Okay. And I looked it up on Google Maps. And much like Fat Nancy's and its shooting location, everything is kind of grown over from the road. And I was like, oh, man, I want to see the house. So I looked on some realtor websites which, yeah, so what? It's creepy. Sue me. Please don't sue me. Anyway, so the house is still there, although, let's see, how do I do it? It's been thoroughly modernized. Yeah, when you sent me the link, I thought that you had sent me the wrong link. I did not think there was any way that that was the same house, although I have to say I recognize the landscape. Yep. So to give you a sense of what they've done, like, the entire exterior of the house has been renovated with huge picture windows. The inside of the house has been gutted with hardwood floors and just totally modern kitchen. Yeah, and at least doubled in size, if not tripled in size. Yeah, it has four bedrooms, three bathrooms, and parking for two cars. It last sold in July of 2000. Do you want to guess how much? Well, millions. $1.1 million. Is that American dollars or Australian dollars? I'm pretty sure it's Australian dollars. That would make sense. But um, it sits on the edge of the Lorne Queenscliff Coastal Reserve. So all of that pristine landscape is protected. No one's going to come in and build between them and the water. So yeah. it's just going to be gorgeous view all the time forever. Yes. It's interesting that... It's four bedroom now, because I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but it is set up as a studio. Their bedroom, their bed, I should say, 
is in the same room as the kitchen. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it used to be, you know, that small of a house that would require the bed being in the living room area. Or if they were just using it that way. It could be that when they got to the location, they realized that while the exterior of the house looked really good, that the interior was too large. It could also be that back in 1979, that house was split up into multiple units. I mean, when you have a house that has three bathrooms, that means that it was plumbed for three bathrooms. And it could have been plumbed for three bathrooms back in 1979, set up into sort of apartments Mm. So it kind of makes sense that their part of the building would be that little slice, yeah. even though they live on this immaculate piece of property. Okay, that so makes I'm, sense. I'm super jealous. Yes, I think the I don't think I'd be able to handle the commute from Australia to where I work now. I think I'd have to <laughs> probably find somewhere else new to lit, new to work. Yep. As the sun's coming up, we see Max. He's in the kitchen, and I want to make it clear. Because we had a lengthy discussion several minutes ago regarding baked goods offered at breakfast time. We could not decide what kind of food was hanging out of Goose's mouth when he left the diner. Yes. This minute, it's incredibly clear that Max is eating toast. Okay. Do you disagree with me? Well. (laughs) Don't. No, don't do this to me. Oh, my gosh. All right, what did you see? Okay. <laughs> I, I say this with, I don't know. I thought it was a waffle, like an Eggo waffle, like popped out of the toaster. Okay. Um, but I did not pay that close attention to it. <laughs> see, I purposely paid too much attention to it because I knew that we had such a hard time <laughs> determining what the debate. heck was going on. Um. I feel that perhaps we should pause the recording and watch it again. Okay, let me hit pause real quick. Okay. Okay, so after reviewing the clip, you're still undecided. I'm undecided. Um, it looks like it could be a piece of toast, like a, like a wheat bread, like it's a little darker. I can't believe we're having this discussion. Uh, but the sound that it makes when he puts it down on the plate makes it sound more dense and, dare I say, moist. <laughs> Now, then a piece of toast. In in the times that we reviewed this clip, I don't remember seeing a toaster that you would make Eggo waffles in on that counter. It looked like he was toasting up the bread on the stovetop. Well, he could toast up an Eggo on the stovetop. I have never seen... Well, I've never seen anyone make toast on the stovetop either. Well, breakfast sandwiches. When you toast a breakfast sandwich, like grilled cheese. When you make grilled cheese, you are making toasted cheese because you're toasting it in the skillet. I'm telling you, Julia, he made toast. He did not make, like, okay, if I saw a waffle machine. I don't think it was toast. (laughs) (laughs) The noise that it made when he put it on the plate, like it slapped. Like it was heavier. It was like, it was denser like a waffle. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> Gosh, this is turning into Eggo McMuffins all or this is turning into English muffins all over again. Oh dear. Okay. Well like, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Well, he's I'm, eating breakfast. He's eating breakfast. I'm just saying that it's toast and I feel like 
as a police officer, he should probably be having something a bit more hearty. If he was having waffles, great. That would be amazing. Okay, that's actually a good point that I hadn't thought of before. There's a book called A Town Like Alice by Neville Shute. Right. And it takes place in Australia, and A Town Like Alice is in reference to Alice Springs. And it's this British woman who, through the first half of the book, a bunch of story, ends up in Australia engaged to this man that I can't remember his name. And she's learning about Australian culture and learns about Australian breakfast, which is incredibly different than British breakfast or American breakfast. It's actually more akin to American breakfast because we love big breakfast with lots of meat. But... Australian breakfast is like steak and eggs. They protein up in the morning because they're going to be out and about all day long. And I think that might be more typical of like the outback ranch hand who will literally isn't going to get a break for the rest of the day. They don't get to take lunch. If they get to come home for dinner, then they're lucky. So this could be their only meal of the day, at least for many, many hours. So I would expect his breakfast to be similar, to be something heavier and more meaty that's going to last him throughout the day. Something a bit more hearty? Yes. Yeah. Is that a Tom Hardy joke? No, it's not a Tom Hardy joke. If I was going to make a pun, I'd put a little bit more effort into it. I know people can't see my expression, but it's like I wouldn't do expression work. I would do inflection work. Okay. Try and get my point across that a pun was being made. Okay. But, yeah. I. But toaster waffle, it's not a great breakfast. Right. I feel like he needs to supplement that a little bit. Yes. And as he's walking through the kitchen, he throws his toast down on a plate. And then the last thing we see in this minute is Jesse over by the window sighing. And we we kind of get half of a sigh before it's cut off at the end of the minute. Like, yes. everything has been happening this week, getting cut off at the last minute. Yes. Or the last second of the minute. And we're going to get an explanation of why she's so upset next minute as we wrap up the week. But he's been away for three days. Yes. And, and she knows that, that she's not going to have him. For as long as she wants. Right. He'll probably be gone for another three days. Right. And in fact, I don't know the exact timeline of this movie. I haven't taken the time to go and just... Counting days. Count days. I've done that in the past for other things that I've reviewed, but it would be interesting to see what kind of timeline we're dealing with. Um, I might take some time before next minute and just figure that out mm-hmm. so that we can determine, okay, so the Night Rider chase is day number three that he's been away from Jesse and Sprague. He comes back for one night. Well, is there any indication how long he's home for? I, I mean... I would say yes. I would say him being at home is the same day as the Night Rider crash. Yes, but do we know the next morning... Is that the next morning, or is it two mornings from now? I would say it's the next morning, because there's no indication otherwise. Okay. Which seems a little harsh. Yeah, it's definitely not fair to Max, and it's certainly not fair to Jesse. Yeah. 
Because she's making a lot of sacrifices being an MFP officer's wife. Yes. And she's home all day with Sprague. We don't know if she has a job of her own, but I imagine that the MFP probably takes care of their officers. They probably make living wages enough to support a family. I'd like to think so. I mean, there's certainly not a lot of them. So if they've got a budget, they should be able to spread that around enough to keep people on the force. So going back to the exterior shot the next morning, you notice something about the music. I did. I think it's the same music that Jesse was playing on the saxophone the night before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a nice little tie-in that they did there. Yeah. I haven't gone through and listened to the soundtrack to try and identify the different themes mm-hmm. and if they're labeled to certain characters. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't surprise me if Jesse had her theme. Yes. And that her playing it on the saxophone was our introduction to her theme. And granted, this is only the second time we're hearing it after the initial instance, but we're definitely going to have to pay attention every time that musical cue comes up if it's directly related to Jesse, because it's probably going to be that way. Yeah, I like the thought of that. It Because it's not just a piece of music assigned to her. It's the music that she played for Max. Mm-hmm. The music... I can't figure out why, but every time I hear that little bit of music that she plays on the saxophone, I get stuck in my head the song from Sound of Music, where it's after Maria and the captain express their love for each other, and they're in the gazebo, and they sing the song about something about a wicked childhood, um, but I must have done something good. That song. Oh, yeah. And I... I should listen to them side by side, because I, I can't really put my finger on what it is about Jesse's song that makes me think of the Sound of Music song, but I, but I got it stuck in my head just from listening to the minute one last time before we started recording. I have that song stuck in my head mm. every time. Now, the Sound of Music, the movie, came out in 1965, mm-hmm. according to IMDb, and... I mean, it was widely known. So there's a very good chance that some of that influence could have creeped into Jesse's song. Yes. Because that's just how music is. You hear a piece of music, it becomes part of you, and then sometimes those motifs can just kind of surface. Yes. Not intentionally. But it would not surprise me if... And I think... If that was... uh... I really would have to go back and listen to the song from Sound of Music to say for certain, but memory serves it was played on on some kind of horn. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe a French horn or even a a clarinet, some sort of woodwind. Are you looking it up? I was just looking up the the composer for for the movie. Um, Yeah, it's very possible that Brian May could have recognized that something good from Sound of Music as a romantic motif, you know, had a sort of melody that would inspire that idea in people watching. Kind of a auditory shorthand, so to speak. Okay, I'm just going to listen to it real quick. I'm going to hit pause real quick. Yeah. So after listening to both clips fairly side by side, 
Yeah, uh, not really anything similar about them. Uh, the Sound of Music clip was played by this the normal violins, orchestral background. What the similarity was is that they're both gentle, romantic melodies. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's it. And that's why it reminds me of that song from Sound of Music so much. Okay, that's fair. Not that I read anything into it, but I just noticed how many plants they have around the house and around the kitchen. Yeah. Maybe I noticed it because I love plants and flowers and gardens, but I have the brownest thumb. Mm. I can't do things like that. The only green thing in my house is fake. Two. Two. I have two fake green things in the house. And I am perfectly happy with fake, because I won't kill them. <laughs> you almost wonder if the set director and the prop department had a miscommunication when they said, yeah, we want a <laughs> bunch of plants in this apartment. And the props department just kind of took that idea and ran with it. And then as they were running, they kind of tripped a little bit, but they <laughs> they caught themselves. And somewhere in that running, they scribbled on the note, and it just... Plants Spir- everywhere. Spiraled out of control. I, I think what they were going for is they were creating a home environment. You know, the, the house, what we see of it is not, it's not messy. It's not particularly neat. It's just full. Right. Of the things that make a house a home. Just stuff. Mm-hmm. And did we see in the last minute, maybe we should have commented on it, was there a mannequin head with a hat on it on the dining table sitting like behind the kid? Yep. Yeah. So there are some interesting design choices at mm-hmm. work in that house. Yes. So it just feels very homey. Yeah. I like the idea of the house being filled with plants because it kind of paints Jesse as the kind of woman who can maintain that many plants, meaning she's a she's a good nurturer. Yes. She's able she's a caretaker. to caretaker. She's able to keep all of those plants alive. Plus, she's able to keep Sprog alive. Yep. Not that he's grateful, you know, punching her in the mouth. I mean, granted, he's only a year old, so he's not maliciously punching, but you know, playfully moving his fists around. Yeah, if he was maliciously punching, he would have led with his left. Exactly, like his dad taught him. <laughs> but yeah, there are a lot of interesting design details. Uh, least of all being the the mannequin head wearing the hat. But hey, it was a different era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. So on that note, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com/madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 14. We will see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men Take me to the end of the dream Hold on tight, no it's your feeling